Go with me, if you would, into Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 4, this morning, and hallelujah. This morning, I want to talk about a people with a right spirit, and again, even as you, you, you spoke out there, Anu, you talked about people with a, a, a clean spirit uh, that we, God is calling us to cleanse our hearts and our minds. And so I don't want to speak too long this morning, um, but I want the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do amongst us uh, this morning. Because I believe that God wants to just remind us this morning, so it's a simple message, but God wants to remind us this morning about the need that he's looking for a people who have not just clean hearts, but have a right spirit. He's looking for people that have a right spirit. Jesus was concerned about the people who would become his disciples. He realized that the greatest asset that he had was not programs, and we sometimes get caught up in programs, but actually the greatest assets is people, just like Steve prayed earlier this morning. When Jesus taught, he wasn't teaching us methods and routines, but he was shaping character in his disciples. And by Holy Spirit, he continues and desires to continue to shape our characters. He knew that the credibility of his message and his message was a message about the Father heart of God and kingdom, he knew that the effectiveness of his message would be tested by the credibility of his messengers, by those who brought the message and took the message to the world. And we know that just out of 12 people, they turned the world upside down, not because of who they were, but because of the message that they brought, the message of kingdom, the message that God has invited us into relationship with him. Go with me, as I said, into Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 23, and we're going to read through into Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, and this will cover what is traditionally known as the Sermon on the Mount. And I just want to pick uh, some things up from that this morning as we consider um, people with a right spirit, because that's what Jesus is calling us to be. He's calling us to be a people with a right spirit. He's calling us to be a people who know him. And so verse 23 says this, speaking about Jesus, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease, every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. And the Decapolis is just literally a, um, a region of ten cities, hence the Decapolis. Then uh, chapter 5, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. When he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed 
are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And we pray that God blesses his word. And Father, we ask, Lord, that as we read your word, Lord, it would renew our mind. As we hear your word, we ask that it would transform our lives, not leaving us the same way that it found us in Jesus' name. At this point in Jesus' ministry, we're told that great crowds were following him. They were following him. They wanted to hear the great teacher. They wanted to hear the words that Jesus was saying. Jesus understood the mission of his father, and he knew that in these moments, he needed to make the message of the kingdom clear and understandable. That's a task that each one of us who are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ have. Sometimes we complicate the gospel, but our mission is to make it clear and understandable so that people can get hold of it and, and it has an effect in their lives and it changes and transforms them. And yet in the midst of all of this popularity, Jesus in this moment chooses to go up a mountain and answer the overwhelming needs of humanity. Answer the questions of the heart. And it wasn't to give people a set of programs and rules and rituals, but rather what Jesus focused on was he said, if the kingdom is going to be expanded, if people are going to be transformed, then actually what we need in the kingdom are better disciples. People who understand the message, people who are trained and, and understand the gospel message, those who are committed to being transformed and being changed as they followed him. You see, there are plenty of followers of Jesus, but how many of those are prepared to be transformed? How many of those are prepared to let the word of God affect or affect their life and have an effect in their lives and change and transform them. Jesus is not interested in just people who follow him. Follow him. He wants disciples. He wants people who are prepared to allow the word of God to change our hearts and to live transformed lives. He held nothing back. He was quite clear. Jesus said this, or I'm paraphrasing. He says, if you follow me, this is what it will mean. This is what it will cost you if you choose to follow me. If you choose to follow me, if you call yourself my disciple, this is what it should look like. Anything else will not do. This is what it will look like. And though it might sound harsh, hear this, Jesus was always compassionate, always compassionate to people, yet never sympathetic. He was always compassionate. And if you're wondering what's the difference between compassion and sympathy is that compassion moves you to do something and to change something. S sympathy just lets you sit there feeling sorry for yourself. 
And Jesus was always compassionate toward the people. In other words, he saw the need, the desperate need of the human heart, and he wasn't prepared to leave people the way that he found them because he knew that there was a better way. He knew that there was um, a a more hopeful, hope-filled way of living. And Jesus never lowered his standards to meet the uh, moral uh, standards of the day. He just spoke. He spoke clearly. He spoke uh, without deviating. And he never lowered or watered down the message to accommodate the moral standards of the day. And that's something that we need to guard against. People like myself, others who... Um, yourselves, even as you speak to others and share the good news of the gospel, is we need to guard that we don't water the gospel down in order just to accommodate the moral standards of our day. The gospel is the gospel. The gospel is unchanging. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We, We were reminded last week that Jesus himself is the Logos, the Word, and he does not change. The world might change, standards might change, morality or understanding of morality might change, but Jesus and the gospel never changes. Understand that. You see, an idea, no matter how powerful it is, is still just an idea. But what changes people is the conveying, the delivery, the the delivery of that message. Does, Does the person who hears it hears it, understand what is being said. In Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, it says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The commission was that we go and we teach people that which we have heard. The gospel is not just so that we feel better about ourselves. The gospel is not even just so that we, our lives are transformed. But the gospel is so that as we receive, we impart it to others. We share the good news. We share the hope, the life of Jesus. And in the hearing of the hope of Christ Jesus, it transforms other lives. We, of course, don't do that. But it's the work of Holy Spirit. One, one thing that I say is that we don't look to convict, we look to converse. In other words, we, we can't convict anyone. That's the work of Holy Spirit. All we can do is talk to people, share what we ourselves have found to be true. And Jesus had a vision like no one else. Jesus saw what no one else had seen before. Jesus did what no one else could do before because there was no one else good enough and there was no one else bold enough to attempt it. You see, Jesus believed in kingdom. He believed in a kingdom and a kingdom people. Not an empire. He wasn't talking about empire that would come by force and and force people into a, a lifestyle that they didn't have a desire to live in, but he spoke about a kingdom that would come and having understood the principles of kingdom would bring people instead to their knees. He spoke about a kingdom that would cause people to acknowledge the lordship 
of who he is. He spoke about a world of people willingly surrendered, uh, surrendering their hearts to the lordship of Christ Jesus. That's what he spoke about when he, when he spoke about kingdom. He spoke about a kingdom where things on earth would be as it is in heaven. People who live surrendered lives to him. We've spoken uh, in recent times about worship and, and um, we can define it in many ways. But one of the simplest ways that I find it easy to understand is talking about posturing our hearts or positioning our heart toward God. Intentionally think it, put positioning our heart toward God because when we do that, everything else follows. We live for him. We, we live to honor him. Everything that we do glorifies him when we position our hearts toward him. When we position our hearts toward him, everything else pales into insignificance. When we position our hearts toward him, then it doesn't matter what is happening in our, the circumstances of our life. As Debbie prayed this morning, when we position our hearts toward him, then we can know that even when we are at our worst, God is always at his best. We can know that when we fail him, he never fails. Because our focus is on him and we know who he is. We understand his character and his nature. Jesus doesn't say that if you do this, you will be saved. So it's not a, it's not a program. It's not a um, a, a, um, uh, uh, I don't know, well, it's not, it's, it's not a program. He doesn't say, if you do this, you will be saved. What Jesus does say, he says that if you are saved, this is how you will live. There's a difference. When we position our hearts toward him, he doesn't, he doesn't force us, but rather as we choose and we are intentional towards him as we are people of a right spirit toward him then our natural desire is to please him he doesn't have to force us and so Jesus then comes and he brings this message to a people a people who on the face of it wanted to be his disciple and he lays out the conditions of discipleship and he says uh, blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are those who mourn um, those who are meek those who hunger and thirst for righteousness those who are merciful those who are pure in heart those who are peacemakers those who are persecuted for righteousness he sets out some of the principles of what it means to be a disciple a, someone who is pure in heart living for him and for kingdom and listen poor in spirit doesn't mean that you know you are lacking something it simply means those who recognize our need of him recognize that we are not a, a, all a bag of chips and all that that we haven't got it all together that it doesn't matter how intelligent we are doesn't matter how much money we have in the bank doesn't matter what our education is doesn't matter what our social background is irrespective we need him that's what it means to be poor in spirit. There's a humility. Those who mourn. It's not talking about those who have lost something physical. 
but it's talking about those who mourn in terms of recognizing our sinful state and being so moved by that that actually we are in mourning, recognizing that we are, we're not in the place that we should be, recognizing that we have lost something in terms of our relationship with God. There's a desire for us just to come back to Father. There's a mourning of spirit. And th- those who thirst and hunger for righteousness... And then there he finishes with, blessed are those who are persecuted, but it doesn't finish there. He's not just saying, blessed are those who are persecuted just for the sake of being persecuted. No. What he's saying is he's saying, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. In other words, those who are persecuted because they are living for him. God and God alone is a holy God. We've sung it this morning. He is holy. He is just. He is righteous. And so he says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for my name's sake. Because, again, I was in a conversation with someone earlier on in the week and we were talking about the fact that some Christians in parts of the world are persecuted and um, someone asked someone who had come out of persecution and said, you know, I don't think I could do what you you did uh, whilst you were being persecuted. And the And this Christian said, I couldn't either, except that God strengthened me. And often what we do is we sit on the outside in the cold light of day and we look at a situation and we say, I couldn't do that. But God's a gracious God and God releases our strength and courage when we need it. We don't know what's in us until we need it. And Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. We are in the days, friends, when, when the world is, is cha- are changing the standards, when the world is setting up other gods, when the world is giving other options for people to worship. And the time has come where we who are pure or, or clean in spirit or, or people with a right spirit, a time has come when we are called to be confident about what the gospel says and who we are in the gospel. And the great thing then is that Jesus follows each of those things with a reward. And again, let me make it clear, we don't do things in order to be rewarded, but God is a God who loves us. He's a good God who delights to bless his people. And so a consequence of us living a life of obedience, is that God just blesses us. But it's not that we do it to be blessed. There's a difference. And he says, Jesus says, those who live um, um, a life of righteousness, those who have a right spirit in them, he says, theirs is the kingdom of God. That's our inheritance. He says, they will be comforted. You know, in the darkest moments of our life, in the valley moments of our lives, friends, we can know the comfort of God because we can know that he is still on the throne. You know, God hasn't abdicated his position. You know, we might look around and we might be fearful about what we see, but know this, that God is still on the throne. Jesus is still seated at the right hand of the Father in all glory. And so we can take comfort from that. I say time and time again, 
I really don't know how people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ uh, can go through some of the stuff they go through because I know there's been moments in my own life where if it wasn't for him and the hope that I have in him, I wouldn't have come through. If it wasn't for him in those dark moments of my life, you know, I wouldn't be able to praise him. I'd just be lost in, in despair and hopelessness. But because of who he is and what I know him to be, the unchanging God, the faithful God, when I'm faithless, I know that I can have absolute confidence in him. And there, friends, is the comfort because it's not dependent on my own resource. It's not dependent on your own ability and your own resource, but it's just dependent on him. He says that they will inherit the earth. He says they will be filled. In other words, we will lack nothing. We'll be content. There'll be a contentment in our, in our daily living uh, when, we, when we live uh, with a right spirit. He says they will be shown mercy. Well, actually, God shows mercy all the time, but for those who live it with a right spirit are those who receive it. They will see God, not as someone who is distant and ethereal, divorced and separated from our daily lives, but they will see God. We will see God as one who enters into our suffering, the one who enters into our daily living, the one who walks with us on a day-to-day -day basis. This is the day that the Lord has made. He goes on to say that they will be called sons of God. And that applies for you as well, ladies. It's quite intentional that he calls you a son. But he says that we will be called sons of God. And then he finishes, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those are the things that Jesus says are ours to possess when we become a people who live by a right spirit. Jesus begins each one of those by saying blessed or, or be happy. And that's in effect what blessed means. But when he speaks about being blessed, he's talking. He's not talking about people. He's not talking about people who have an external resource. He's talking about people who have an internal understanding of who he is. It's talk, he's talking about people who have, in, who have allowed Holy Spirit to indwell them and so know who he is. Know that he's talking about people who don't have a self-sufficiency. That is a sufficiency of, of themselves. But he's talking about a people who have a God sufficiency a God who is able to provide a God who who is big enough to save by his once and for all sacrifice a people who who understands that God is it can meet all our needs a people who knows that God is enough uh, more than enough to bless us that God is more than enough to equip us God is more than enough to strengthen us it's not a self-sufficiency it's a God sufficiency a reliance upon him. Jesus is all that we need. And I don't say that glibly. I say that as one who has come to know that and learn that and still learns it in daily living. Jesus is all that we need. There is nothing, there is no one that we, else that we need that can add to Christ. He is 
sufficient. And let me say, we need to get to know the all-sufficient one. Because when we know the all-sufficient one, we stop looking for other things in our lives to fill those gaps to fill, uh, you know, or to satisfy our needs. We understand that Jesus is the one who is able. Having faith in Christ involves trusting in his complete sufficiency. Let me ask you, is Jesus enough for you? Is he sufficient for you this morning? Because he should be. He should be. Because he's done it all. You know, the world is concerned about externals. The world's concerned about not having enough money in the bank. Uh, concerned about the looks. Concerned about uh, having the right car. About having the right reputation. About having the right job. The world is concerned about many things that are external. But God says, Jesus says, don't be concerned with those things. Those are all temporal. They'll be gone in an instant, in a moment. But instead, look, focus on the things of eternal value and worth. Blessed are the poor in heart, for theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. You know, some have written, blessed in spirit are the poor. And that is completely wrong. The Bible never teaches. Listen, the Bible never teaches that poverty of itself is godliness. Doesn't teach that. You know, gone are the days, praise the Lord, when, you know, even in, you know, amongst the saints, you know, where there was this idea that you had to keep the pastor, that you had to keep the leadership poor. The Bible does not teach that. Poverty does not lead to godliness. But rather what the Bible teaches is about our heart attitude. A people with a right spirit. A people who are poor in spirit, recognizing their dependence on God. Understanding that everything that we are, can be, and will be is because of Him. Because we have a God who desires to bless us. Hallelujah. We have a God who desires to bless us. When we become a people who have a right spirit, we no longer and we stop seeing ourselves as we see ourselves. We stop seeing ourselves as the world sees us and we begin to see ourselves as God sees us. When we allow Holy Spirit to work in us, we realize what true poverty is. And it's not in pounds and pence, but actually true poverty is of the Spirit. When we begin to be a people who have a right spirit, we recognize the state of our lives. And we recognize our need of God. You see, the gospel is this. Part of the gospel is this. The gospel says that it needs to tear down first before it can build up. And what that means is it means that when we understand the gospel, the gospel will break any ungodly thoughts, any ungodly thinking, any ungodly teaching or understanding that we may have had about who he is 
And the gospel, the, the word of God will begin then to teach us and put within us a right understanding about who God is. And as we allow the word to enter us, the word doesn't stay external, we allow the word to enter us. In fact, in Jewish teaching, what they talk about with the word, they talk about eating the word. That's their understanding of the word. It doesn't stay external, but actually um, we feast on it, we eat it, and we allow it to get into us because when the word gets into us, then Holy Spirit can begin to change and transform us and begin to set in us those things that bring us to a place of having a right spirit, a heart, if you like, that is postured, positioned toward God. Let me finish with this. David, when he sinned before God, and don't, don't we just love the Bible? The Bible doesn't cover up the transgressions, the mistakes, the sins of the people because the Bible's real. It, it shows all the mistakes, warts and all, of all the godly people in Scripture. And the Bible talks about David's sin with Bathsheba. But in Psalm 51, we have that great psalm, which is a psalm of repentance of David. You know, and if any of you have never read it, then I might suggest that you read it and you appropriate that. You take it to yourself and you allow that to become the words that you say to our Father as you turn away from your previous life and, and acknowledge your need of him. And in Psalm 51, David says this. Psalm 51, verse 10. He, he has this cry and he says, renew a right spirit within me. Renew a right spirit within me. And whatever your circumstance, whatever your situation is this morning, you can know that God desires to, to make you anew. You can know that God desires to put a right spirit in you. You can know that God desires to walk with you. But it starts with that simple request. That simple ask of God, renew a right spirit within me.